We are very fortunate today to be joined by Mr. Marcus Wallenberg. Marcus serves on and often chairs a number of boards of very well-known companies, and we will come back to this. But he is also, with his cousins Jacob and Peter, one of three members of the Wallenberg's family fifth generation. The Wallenberg family has been called Europe's preeminent business family, and they are associated with an amazing ecosystem known as the Wallenberg Sphere, which directly or indirectly involves several dozens of companies representing about $160 billion of revenues, about 600,000 employees in 180 countries. Some of the companies whose name appears within this sphere, ABB, Atlas Copco, AstraZeneca, SCB, Ericsson, Saab, Electrolux, Nasdaq, SKF, Stora Enzo, or the well-known private equity firm EQT. But as I was preparing this discussion, I realized, Marcus, that there is a lot I didn't know about this Wallenberg sphere and about the way your family has been guiding its destiny. So I'm very grateful to have this opportunity to discuss this with you today. Again, Marcus, a warm welcome to you. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So, Marcus, my first set of questions is meant to help all of our viewers understand your and your family's role in guiding this amazing ecosystem of companies. And my first surprise was the fact that your family actually doesn't own these companies. Participation in these companies are held by two major holding companies, Investor, which is publicly listed, and, and FAM, which is privately held. But these two holding companies are actually largely owned by 15 foundations to which your family over the years gave their shares or that they otherwise created. And then dividends from the investment companies and the holding companies flow back to the foundations, which then redistribute almost all of these proceeds, and that's about, I think, $200 million a year, to a variety of research projects and research organizations involved in science and education, and with a clear objective to help the development and competitiveness of Sweden. So in many ways, your family is more custodians of an enormous empire than actual owners of it, which is quite extraordinary in a global context. So Marcus, my first question is, can you tell us a bit more about this Wallenberg ecosystem or cycle? I've seen both terms used and why your predecessors structured things this way. Well, I, it's hard for me to say exactly why they came to the conclusion to do this, but the first big foundation, which is now the largest of the family foundations, was actually created by my great uncle K. Wallenberg in 1917. And, and he and his wife had no children. And then onwards, the family members have created foundations in every generation of our family. So actually, yes, you're right, there are several foundations. And it's been a very good way, I think, for our family and in the way we are operating, that actually it's a way to give back, to really have the possibility to support the Swedish society. The family has been very focused on working for Sweden, with Sweden over the years. So it has suited our way we think about ourselves. And also it's been good because I guess in many situations you can come into discussion about personal wealth. That is not a discussion we have in our family. Those who are participating in working with us, for us in the companies. They do that because they feel that they want to be part of this ecosystem. And uh, that is 
becoming increasingly clear in this generation that we're in right now. Indeed, I, I had seen written in some articles that I think you and your cousin said, look, one of the advantages is this way we don't spend time squabbling over distributing wealth because the wealth is owned by the foundation. And I guess a number of families over the years, of course, have spent enormous amounts of time squabbling about this. You guys don't. In our set, no, because it's really about, and you have to understand that our focus lies on the one side that the companies are doing well. And that's why we spend a huge amount of time, some of us more than others, but Jacob and I spend most of our time working with the companies, trying to develop them and, and be sure that we have the right management, the right boards in these companies to make sure that they are operated in a good way. And as you said earlier, giving dividends into the holding companies and the holding companies then distribute this to the foundations. And then Peter, who is primarily working with the foundations, is, is seeing to that we have a system in the foundations that do the things that we have set out to do, namely to support Swedish research and education and to do that for the betterment of Sweden. So that has been the motto over the years, over generations. It's something that we live by, something we really are happy and proud to support continuously, and that we hope we'll be able to continue also in coming generations. So we're going to come to the investment side, but maybe one last question on the foundation aspect. How do you select the projects or the organizations that you will be supporting? And maybe can you give us one or two examples of organizations or projects or areas that you have decided recently to support? We have developed the work of the foundations over the years that I've been. I've been on the foundations for a long time, and it's quite evident that we have actually moved the focus of the foundations over the years. And today, we are spending a lot on individual researchers that we are being recommended by the universities to support. And then we have a very elaborate review systems of a number of several, a couple of hundred reviewers around the world that help us to determine that these researchers are doing are considered to be excellent and push excellence because we think that's very, very important. So that's one part of what, what the foundations do. The other part is supporting major initiatives. One such initiative right now is in the field of artificial intelligence and autonomous systems, which is a 10 to 12 year program, one of the largest ever done in, in this country. And then a third part of what the foundations do is that we find certain projects which are, of course, supported by certain researchers with a high degree of excellence where we think we can contribute. And the way we think about this is actually that the most important for us is that we are actually contributing to the development of basic research. And, and the ideas, to a large extent, come from universities we are being suggested how to set up different projects by universities and then we basically use all the network to help us out on the excellence question. So th that is really what it's all about and I would say that over the years we have been trying to identify areas where we believe that Sweden could be helped by developing its knowledge more and more in depth. So for example, 20 years ago, we could see there was a need to develop the 
knowledge around genomics, which was being developed at the time. And so we did one of these longer-term projects and programs to develop that knowledge at several universities in Sweden. So it's one example. Understood. Thank you for this. So now let's focus on the investment side. And, and, and of course, one of the questions is, well, how does this governance work? And how well does it work? And so one of the ways to assess this success, of course, is to look at the performance of Investor, because it's a publicly listed company, a publicly listed group. And of course, the foundations own, I think, about 23% of the shares and control about 50% of the votes because of the dual class share system. And over the last 20 years, Investor has been returning an average of 15% a year, which 15% a year over 20 years is simply extraordinary. And just as a comparison, of course, because we often talk about Berkshire Hathaway in the US, I checked how well they did over these 20 years, and the answer is about half as well as Investor has done. So, so it's been an extraordinary performance. And of course, the question, Marcus, is what's the secret sauce? How does one su succeed so well over so many years? I think that you have to understand the way these investment holding companies are working. It's basically the result of the underlying, the performance of the underlying companies in the portfolio. So the management of investor has done a really good job over the years, but also the companies which constitute the portfolio has been extraordinarily good in certain cases. But you should remember when you have a portfolio, there is always some companies who are doing very well and some are not doing as, as well. But I would say that we've been trying to find a balance between ownership, a very engaged ownership, where we make sure that the right board, primarily the chairman and the CEO is in place because that is really the key. These individuals play a bigger role than perhaps one can imagine that uh, it's so important that are aligned with values and have the same objective as we as one of the big shareholders in these companies have. And in most companies we do have an ownership position which is quite substantial and, and usually the largest. And that means that in the, in the Swedish corporate governance system it means that we also have a say in the boardroom because the Swedish corporate governance system has a board where only the CEO is usually the only executive on the board. So the two-tier board system, the two-tier governance system has been, I would say, one factor to that we have been able to have good developments in these uh, companies. One also has to remember that besides this and working with what we think is value creation plans for these companies where we have an active dialogue with company boards or managements to exchange views on, on what's going on, all within the rules that are set by the market or whatever. And it's a continuous dialogue that we have through the board memberships and so on. But, uh, and, and we're really trying to see what are the potential of each company uh, that we work with. So that, that's quite an important part of what we do. Then, of course, you have to have tailwind. And uh, I would say in the last few years, it's been good for some of these companies. They made the right decisions and been able to, in different ways, reshape themselves to a position where they have done quite well in many cases. Um, 
And I should also say that we have had a composition of investor which has been very favorable. The private equity company you referred to, EQT, has done very well in the development of its values. And some of the industrial holding companies have also done extremely well. So it is, I think, what, we're trying to, what I'm trying to say here, it is that it's a continuous development of the relationships with these companies, trying to stay close without interfering in operations, but still having an, an active dialogue with these companies that has been very important to us over the years. So that, that is a little bit of the gist. Thank you for this. Let me maybe allow me a few follow-up questions on this. You said we're trying to find the right balance between, you know, oversight and engagement. I think your approach has been described as long-term active engaged ownership. Is it sometimes challenging to know where the line is? I, I, I mean, I happen to be a member of, a, of the board of a listed company, and sometimes it's not completely trivial, right? It's, it's when does oversight stop and, and when do we start to meddle with the company? So, so tell us how you're thinking about this. Well, I think that if you look at the Swedish corporate law, basically you could say that being in really responsible for strategy and following up operations and also, of course, having a very important uh, role of appointing and in some cases dismissing the chief executive are three of the real important points that the, the board gets in, involved with. So I would say that the strategic framework is always, if you look at board evaluations in Swedish companies, people always talk about, you know, should we spend more time on the strategy and etc. So I think that, yes, of course, you could say that you should not meddle into the operations of the company. And I think this is a very important point because you have to let the CEO do his or her work in a way that they can develop the company according to the strategy that you have set out to do. But I think it's also important to acknowledge that for being a CEO is quite a lonely job and they need some sort of communication to feel that they are on the move. So I think that most of the chairmen in, in Sweden, they are to a large extent trying to keep in touch with, or board members trying to keep in touch with the CEO just to be a supporter or to be somebody who can challenge them or whatever. So I think one has to be very careful not to get into operations because then you will never know who's really responsible at the end. But depending on what type of company it is, depending on what situation that you're really in, you will have more or less communication with the management of the company. So if there is a company who is really struggling trying to refocus their activities or reconstruct themselves in a different way or trying to fix something that is not working, then it might be it's very important for them to feel that there is a common understanding on where to move certain things on a strategic level. To your point, it's not a simple question, but it's, it's a very important one. I, I can take an example of certain things that we try to discuss more actively with, with companies. So just in this time that we're in, in, in right now, we as a group have always said that we think that innovation 
is extremely important in companies where we are operating. We have always had that position. Therefore, we are prepared to support companies who really want to spend more time, more resources on, on research and development, for example. So that has always been a theme, and that is also resonates very well with what we do in the foundations as well, because we really believe this research question is important for companies who are where the original part is really coming from a country with 10 million people. Here, only innovation can really help us out to stay competitive in the global market. On top of that innovation part, it's more and more obvious that certain cases or certain areas which will require even more attention in years to come. And that's the digitization of operation and the company, not only on the efficiency side, but also what can you offer your customer base. And the other part is, of course, sustainability. And on both these areas, we as owners have been, been quite active in our discussions with the companies uh, that we feel it's a very important part that they stay on the edge of trying to digitize themselves and try to be on the forefront of sustainability. And we think that that will be very important and defining factors for years to come. So please allow me to build on this. So the digital aspect, I think we all get, right? We all understand how today, the extent to which an organization is able to be world-class at integrating digitization in its operation and strategy will influence their financial success. Sustainability is still a little bit more debated. There are still a number of individuals who say, yeah, in an ideal world, of course, we would be a little bit more sustainable, but that would cost money. And you know, shareholders are so short-term focused. Now, there are also people who are saying, yes, but on the other hand, society will force companies to internalize the cost of their actions and the impact of their actions on the environment and on society. And so, Companies need to innovate. Please tell us how you're thinking about this and how you're also encouraging companies to think about this. Well, I think digitization is actually more complicated than we think. That is uh, on the one side. And personally, I think there are so many more things that we could do to improve our offering to companies to make our operations more efficient and spending time on the right thing. And not the least when I think about what happened during COVID and the banking operation where basically every, everybody went digital of our customers. So that is one thing which in turn demands from companies that they would change their business model to operate in a different way versus customers and suppliers. So that, that's one side of it. The sustainability question, we believe, we have taken the view that if you think about the consumer of tomorrow, no matter where they are, sustainability, we believe, will be a very important factor for consumers of tomorrow. And we also believe that working more actively with sustainability will also encourage companies to think differently about their business model. I think digitization and sustainability goes hand in hand to really make it a better way. I think uh, thinking about how you can operate in a more sustainable way will actually help companies to transform themselves over the years. I think the demands of sustainability will just increase over the years, and that's why it's better to be on the forefront. I think we can do things in a better, more sustainable way that will be 
cost efficient and so on in if you think about how how you will do it and uh, yes i realize i come from part of the world that sustainability plays a huge role in the public opinion it's hard to sell if you're a bank in this part of the world it's hard to sell an investment fund to anybody uh, of your clients uh, if it's not green today so that means that if your financing is going green that also demands that you will find companies who are on the sustainable forefront so i think actually sustainability will be good for business going forward i think it's going to be the way of the future i think that yes it will mean that you will invest into the future but i do think that we are in a place right now where we must from our point of view have an interest in many companies i think it's part of building even though it's i understand involves making investments that will be costly and so on i still think that for the long term and since we are very long term focused for the long term this will benefit the companies and their customers give very good returns in the, in the future that's where we come from thank you for this now two more questions on the investment side you've mentioned we encourage management and companies to innovate we also encourage them obviously to digitize we encourage them to invest and be at the forefront of sustainability threats and opportunities to what extent are you able to encourage a sharing of best practices so there's a description of the Wallenberg sphere but but many of these companies have their own board they're publicly listed are you able to foster exchanges and if so how are you doing it Well we have meetings from time to time on certain themes but to keep people to understand and know each other which we I mean we can't sit and direct people in every direction that's not the intent but to have the network is a good thing so we try to to do that from time to time but we have in certain aspects actually created what we would call joint venture companies not only in companies that are close to us but also others who would like to join and we've done it for example in in within the digital data side we have a company called Combiant which is now almost 40 primarily swedish and finnish companies who are in part of that where basically they work together on certain projects together with specialists within the digitization and that actually directs itself from all the way from helping employees to uh, up upskill themselves or getting into new areas of knowledge to increasing a better supply chain or innovating in certain fields and that has been we've been doing that for a number of years now and that has been quite good because it's really it's all based on companies making the decision themselves if they want to participate on certain projects or not So that has been one way for us to on the terms that the companies themselves have decided collaborate if they thought that that was uh, an interesting thing and they're not competitors with each other so there is no competition question inside there we also done a similar thing in 3D printing where a number of companies come together to develop that technology and and run it in a better way so yes in specific fields where there is not any competitive questions but we would think that the combination of working together will bring the participants forward faster and by that uh, being more innovative for the future we tried that a number of times and it's been appreciated i think by the companies so a sort of shared center of excellence 
Yes, and, and where it's all on the terms of the participants. They decide where they want to participate. And that has been, uh, for us, a helpful tool to bring up certain questions that we think are, are very, very important. Now, you mentioned earlier one of the roles of the board is to uh, appoint and, in some cases, dismiss CEOs. What are some of the qualities that you're looking for in these CEOs that you appoint or you contribute to appoint at the helm of, of uh, companies that you either control or are invested in? Wow. You know, that question, first of all, very much depends on, on the company, on the type of business, on where, where the company is in a certain situation, because we have to frankly you know, realize that if you point a CEO into a company which is in trouble for one reason or another, it's probably a different skill set than from somebody who's, uh, where you're trying to find somebody to help expand an already successful company. It's really trying to find the right person for the right company and also at the right time, that particular time in the company developments. We spend a lot of time thinking about that. We all talk about the skill of a CEO. I, I think, of course, leadership, of course, curiosity, of course, a lot of energy that they share the same values as the, as the, as the owners of the company. But then, depending on the company, you know, some people need a lot of technical skills, other people need a lot of marketing, financial, etc. But the leadership, I think, uh, and judgment questions are always some of those questions that we are looking for and, and that we feel there is a lot of energy in this person uh, who's going to take it on. But, you know, it depends very, very much. I, I would really like to say that I, I think it depends extremely on the situation, the type of company. Some companies need somebody who's been operating globally or internationally for years, some more domestically, etc. So I would say that besides the normal qualities of a leader that are very important, I think it also has to be tailor-made for the specific situation. And that, of course, requires the board to have a very fine understanding of the qualities that are required at this particular point, which requires the board to have also a fine understanding of where the company is, which, if we're very frank, is not always, always the case with some boards. Well, it's hard to, to make a generalization about that, but of course, it's helpful if the board is so close to the company that you feel what the requirements are when you need a new leader. Yes, of course. And a board, to me, is really a, a combination. It's a team of different skill sets. I, I think it's hard to only have specialists on board. You, you also need people with a broader view and have different experiences from this, different situations. So yes, that team of people consisting of the board has to be close enough to the business to really feel what type of leadership we need in the company. Yes, I agree with you, absolutely. Last question on the investment side. There is this old article from generations ago explaining how a lot of American railroad companies missed the shift to airlines. And one of the things I read about your family is that decades ago, one of your ancestors wrote to another family member and said, look, airlines are the future, are the future. We've got to make that shift. So over the decades, the Wallenberg family has been able, you said earlier, we have to have tailwinds, but you seem to have been able 
as a family to, to make sure that your portfolio was benefiting largely from tailwinds. And so my question here is, how do you manage the fine line between we persist because you are long-term focused. And so one of the words that has come in article is doggedness. You know, we, we stay in there. And, but sometimes you also have to accept the fact that this company no longer will benefit from tailwinds. And so, so we have to divest. So how do you find this line between persistence without becoming stubborn and staying in there too long? I think, honestly, that most companies, not all, but most companies can reinvent themselves over the years if you are willing to find new ways forward. And I, I think that that is, you know, that what you're, you're referring to is when my grandfather wrote to his brother and said that the only tradition worth keeping is moving from the old to the new. And that was the whole idea about moving from shipping into to airlines uh, after the Second World War. Yes. So I think if you look into my ancestors in the family, that has been something that's been driving them quite strongly, that, you know, to reinvent the companies and to make sure that we always look to see what is coming and how do you make adjustments or how do you rethink your position as it is right now. And that is something that we are carrying with us, my cousins and I. We think that is very, very important because otherwise it's difficult to be relevant uh, as an owner. And we feel that one of the issues that we were always taught when we grew up was, you know, you, you have to think of it that you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility as an owner towards the customers and to the companies and to the employees and all the partners of the companies. And part of that responsibility is to look at, do we have the right management? Are we on the right course? Are we taking the necessary steps for the, for, for the future? And in many cases, actually, you can make alterations and strategic shifts not totally reinventing the company, but in step-by-step step reinventing the company in such a way that you stay relevant. And that's really part of the innovation competitiveness question. Have we always been successful with that? No, of course not. But in many cases, it has been something that has been achieved over the years, yeah. So change from within and help the portfolio companies to improve and develop rather than buy and sell. To help, yeah. We think we can do a lot with that. And you have to realize that the capital market and the economy consists of many types of investors, many types of companies. You need both short-term capital, you need medium-term capital, and you need long-term capital. We just found, I mean, I think the reason why we're continuing this is that for us, it's been extremely useful to take a long-term view. And then, of course, it will be ups and downs. And right now we've had a period of, of good returns, but it's also been parts of the history that has been a tough position, a tough situation. So then you really have to um, grind down and, and work with the, those issues that you have to deal with. Now, Marcus, as you know, I'm a professor of leadership. And so I, I cannot conclude this discussion without having maybe a few personal questions or slightly more personal questions. The first one pertains to your decision to dedicate your life to what seems to me really to be a life of service. And if you allow me, I want to read 
two or three sentences that uh, are printed in, the, in, the, in, in various reports that the family and the groups are putting together. One said the Wallenberg family of Sweden works in the service of enterprise and research. Another one said, through the Wallenberg Foundations, we work to give Sweden's researchers and companies a solid platform to compete effectively in a highly competitive global market. We have been entrusted with the governance and development of what earlier generations of our family have created, and we consider this our mission. This carries a responsibility that we are genuinely willing to take on. Now, this sounds like a life of service to your country and to society as a whole. My question is, does this ever weigh on you? Are, are there sometimes days where, where you would have preferred not to have to bear this charge? <laughs> of course, life consists of many short terms, many long terms. It consists of ups and downs of very easy times when things are going the way you really would like it to go and of course days when it's not so easy and I think you just have to realize and that's what I think many of us are trying to do in our family is that we realize that the race is very long and you have to try to find a balance to look at the horizon where you're trying to aim what are you trying to achieve long term because it's easy to get into a situation when things are more challenging, that you are deviating from the long-term goal. That doesn't mean that you don't have to make alterations. I mean, the way to the objective or the goal is not a straight line. We all know that. You have to make alterations. You have to be flexible. So it might go like this. And it might be times when it's more challenging. And then you just have to figure out, how can I do this in a different way? How can I persuade people to think in a different way? What are our long-term ambition? What are we trying to achieve here? And that is, I think, for all of us in the family, what we're trying to do, to try to find what, what is really our long-term objective and where do we want to carry this question and how we would like to support this company or this individual or this researcher. So, yes, like everybody in life, we're faced with different situations and you have to deal with it under those circumstances. So stay focused on the long-term, Accept the fact that every trajectory is going to have some ups and downs. And does the fact that there's three of you, does, does that help? Because maybe you're never down all three of you on the same day and, and somehow you help one another to stay focused. Does that help? Yeah, it, it's, I wouldn't put it so dramatically. But yes, I think for the three of us, we have found over a year, over the years, that we can speak openly about, you know, different situations that we need to, to deal with and that we discuss it if it has more long-term implication. And we're trying to keep ourselves informed about both the good things and, and the more challenging things. And that is really because in our generation, we feel this common responsibility on the one hand, and also that we can get a way to to vet the idea on, on you know, how, how should we move forward and what are the options in certain situations. And, and uh, yes, I think we found a very open way to, to deal with this. So we see each other more formally once a week and, and talk about things. And, and that has been uh, very helpful for our generation, I would say. Yeah. Now, the ups and down is one thing. Another aspect of your position is the pressure and the stress, right? Because of course, the, the group of companies that 
your control and influence is extremely visible in Sweden, but also more broadly in Europe and in the world. And so your actions and your decisions are actively scrutinized. And sometimes, sometimes, some of them have been even criticized. How do you handle this, this pressure, this, this stress of being in the limelight and you know, being constantly judged by various stakeholders? Naturally, you know, over the years, you have to understand that there are always different opinions about what you're doing and, and so on. And, and that is something you have to face, of course. But I also think that one of the absolutely key questions for all of us, and has been true for the generations back, is that we've been trying to find very good collaborators with us. Because you have to realize that you can't do all these things yourself. You're dealing with questions that are quite big. You're handling very big values. It all comes down to that the people you work with has to be very good, have the same values, and that you feel that you're doing this together and that you have the same objective, long-term goal. And that is something that we work on quite a bit. So I would say we have, we're lucky to have very good people working with us in different fields. And that is very helpful question here you know, with the long-term view and sharing what we're trying to do. And, and many of them have been with us for a long, long time, depending on the company. But that is very helpful for us. It's something that wouldn't be possible without all these people. And if I may, and I know that you cannot say this because modesty would prevent you from saying this, but I also know a number of people who say that they were eager to work within the Wallenberg sphere because it is so helpful for, as a CEO, to have an engaged, smart, thoughtful, and long-term perspective owner. So I guess you've managed to create a virtuous circle around this. Well, I, I hope that is the case. I think that we are, are really trying to push this aspect that we have this long-term view, we want to stay engaged, we want them to invest into the future, we want them to have a long-term view of creating good results and stay competitive. We all realize it's very hard work. It's very, very hard work. And the people that uh, are working in companies, I, I am amazed how much time they put into doing their job. So as I said earlier, you can't underestimate the importance of all these people working in companies that, where we have an interest. And it's hard to be appreciative, but it also it's a mix of being appreciative and also challenging right. to stay competitive. Finding the right balance between challenge and support. Same thing. Now, you have started to prepare the family's sixth generation for possible service in the group slash sphere. How will you determine which ones will get to wield this very significant power that you and your cousins are wielding? When the three of us grew up. It was quite clear, you know, the older generation always said, just because your name is Wallenberg, you don't believe that you will have a place because you really have to perform and you have to work. I think that is true also for the next generation. I also think it's important that they really feel engaged, really truly as individuals, that they want to do this. I think they realize that it's a lot of work and since it's a lot of work, you really have a huge amount of interest and to be keen to work in this. And that's going to be the key from my point of view, that it, the next generation will feel very engaged and, and 
We have started this, yes, we are a number of them that have expressed interest in working with us and with the family going forward. We're extremely happy by that. Who will work within exactly one position or the other? I, I couldn't really say, but we feel very encouraged that the response so far has been very favorable and that they really want to engage. And they, they're good young people. They realize that it's also a, a matter of being performing and that they are, are in, which has been very you know, positive from my point of view and from our, our point of view and the three cousins, that they are friends and they are showing clearly that they want to work together and uh, that they want to engage in one way or another. And then we'll see exactly what happens. Now, I hope that my next question is, is not going to be too personal. I, I was just wondering, are there some Wallenberg family education principles? Are there some things that the next generation will have in common because of their education? I think, in, as in most families, the next generation, they observe what the older generation does. I think that is one of the way of assimilating the values and understanding that might be important. But I think that participating in what we're trying to achieve, both on the research side, the foundation side, and on the family side, and on the business side, I think that they're, they're all formally educated, of course, but they also now participate, those who have interest, they also participate in the business in one way or another. And it's really a matter of being on the job, working hard and participating in the decision making from time to time that will teach you all these different aspects. Because so many of these questions, it's not something that you read in the, in the school book. It's really about having the, had the possibility to gain the experience by working and coming into situations where you have to make judgment calls. And that, that, that is part of this training. When we grew up, it was very much a part of, of being, um, you know, you, you uh, went out on different training programs or did training in foreign banks or whatever. But today, the businesses are widespread. It looks different from the time when the three of us grew up. And um, also, generations shape their own views and values. And we have to respect that. And that's why I'm coming back to the big question that you have to have a very keen interest. And that is really the most important question. And what I'm also hearing, which is, I think, a part of your answer is, and it's not like their education stopped at 18 or 22. It continues. It's a lifelong process. Last question, Marcus. I was recently at an event where some senior leaders were commenting that they were quite discouraged by the results of COP27 in Egypt and you know, the multiple threats that they can see in the world. And I was, I was wondering, do you, do you ever get discouraged or, or depressed that way? And, and if not, how do you manage to keep yourself focused and optimistic enough? with respect to the future? My principal answer to that question is really because I believe in the future. I, I, I really think, I, I know there's a lot of discussion about that we're going into more difficult world and, and, and the situation today, don't get me wrong, this is a very difficult and horrible time with the war in Europe and energy crisis and coming out of the COVID, it, it's really, there. and still, 
I think there are so many new things coming up scientifically. The world is developing. I do believe that if you look back the past 10 to 20 years, lots of people have come out of poverty. We have increased the health possibilities for populations around the world. That if we're going to succeed in overcoming all these challenges that we're discussing every day, we really have to have a positive attitude and find the solutions forward. And I still believe that humanity has that possibility. And I, I think when I look at the younger generation that is growing up today, I think there are a lot of things that is really healthy with them. A lot of things that they do good. So it's a little bit about having faith um, about the future. Uh, and I, I really believe in the future. And, and when that will, you know, things will go ups and downs uh, along the way, but the trajectory over time, if you stay with it and try to do the long-term right things and believe in propelling the world forward with innovations and making things better for people, I think there are always a, a positive side to the world we're looking at. Yes, we should not forget the challenging and the very, very extreme challenges that we're seeing right now, but there are also a road ahead. There is also a good way to think about and try to find the path forward with. And that, I think, is important to carry with you. Hard work, positive attitude, innovation, uh, creativity and confidence, and doing the right thing every day. I want to thank you very much for your time. Uh, of course, the companies that are part of the Wallenberg Sphere have been, over the years and the decades, part of the solution. And we obviously wish you personally and, and collectively all the best of continued success. And thanks again for making the time to be with us. Thank you very much. Great to see you.